The Aldis Podcast is brought to you by Aldis International, supplying your expert AI and digital transformation staffing needs across the US and Europe. Today, you are listening to our ServiceNow series, where we interview the best and brightest of the industry to share their story, advice, and views on the exciting world of ServiceNow and digital transformation. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Orders Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sparks, and today we are continuing with our digital transformation series with a focus on ServiceNow. Today's guest is Jeff Shute. Uh, Jeff is VP of Platform Automation and Global Service Delivery at Pomeroy. Um, some of you may recognize Jeff's name from the Knowledge 21 conference where he was a speaker. So I'm excited for today's chat. Jeff, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you. No, no worries. No worries. You recovered from your time at Knowledge. We, we saw you doing a talk there. It seemed like a good one. Yeah, it's always exciting to have an opportunity to represent your company at that level in the industry. We've really made a lot of great innovations in the past year, and it was very exciting to be able to share them with, with your peers in the industry. I do miss being back together in person, though. I'm sure you do as well. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to that indeed. So that's a really nice segue, actually. Look, Jeff, obviously, we'll, we'll come on to you and your career shortly, but let's give our listeners an introduction into to Pomeroy. Sure. Pomeroy is a managed services provider. We specialize primarily in service desk and field service, desk side support, break fix, depot, pretty much own the end-to-end life cycle of a PC from cradle to grave. And I started here about a year ago with the idea of bringing that all together into one system. And as you can imagine, which system I chose with ServiceNow. Oh, so that's a coincidence. And as we mentioned, sort of when we did a quick debrief before, our listeners sort of love to get some mentorship from this. So we'll come on to some of your kind of career learns a bit later, but let, let's also give our listeners an overview of who they're listening to. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. I often liken it to the Johnny Cash song, I've Been Everywhere. I started my career while I was working through college, doing fun things on PCs that people hadn't done before and doing things in days that used to take weeks and sometimes months on mainframes. Being in technology sure makes you feel old because you compare yourself to things that happened 20, 30 years ago, and it feels like ancient times. But it was a great time to be coming of age in a career in the marketplace because you could leverage new technologies as fast as they came out to solve real problems and just charge ahead. I started out supporting financial departments in uh, telecom companies. I started my own consulting business for a little while and then was picked up by MCI. I used to do long distance in the US, uh, very large company, great learning opportunity. I took a a lot of what I learned about finance, went off and got a degree in finance as a matter of fact, and became expert at operations, business analysis, generating ROI, solving problems. I did that for about 10 years, then moved into contact center operations in the domain name world, a company called, which later became Network Solutions. After that, I moved into the startup world, literally garage startups, building video game accessories and exercise equipments and combining those two fascinating technologies into one thing, only to be overtaken by a market that decided to go a different way and and left us hanging. Uh, I then went back to consulting. You know, I consulted valuation on new businesses. I got into process improvement. I learned Lean Six Sigma. I did manufacturing in China. Uh, and then I ended up with an MSP working with ServiceNow as a framework to solve pretty much every 
operational and business problem the MSP had. So that's really where I hit my stride from a ServiceNow perspective. And over the last eight years, I've been working in that field for MSPs using ServiceNow to build frameworks, solve problems, and drive success. Wow, there's a lot there. Um, yeah, like so, I said, I've been everywhere. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> well, you, you literally have. So talk to me about your current role and responsibilities. You're Vice President, Platform Automation and Global Service Delivery. Do you mind breaking that down for me and and the, probably a little bit more about the mission you're currently on at, at Palmeray? Sure. On the one hand, there is the platform automation piece, which, as we mentioned a few moments ago, was the idea that Pomeroy has four or five major business towers and lines of business. And each one of those is operating on its own set of systems and subsystems without really talking to each other. And when you look at what Pomeroy does, it's everything from selling PCs at the front end to supporting them over their life cycle, break, fix, warranty, repair, end of life, asset disposal. Uh, there really is only one PC that's going through that life cycle and having it supported by four or five different systems is it's not the most efficient way to do it. And it doesn't add a lot of value to your customers. When you bring those systems together and own everything about that PC from cradle to grave, you're in a situation where you can provide tremendous value in each of those towers based on what you know from other towers. So that was the goal when I started. And here for about a year, I'd say we're probably in the 80 to 90% complete range. I will tell you, pace is everything. Moving quickly in an industry that moves quickly is what it's all about. And then on the other side of the, uh, the coin, I run the global service centers, which now basically means people sitting in their homes working on their PCs in this day and age. Started out with a center in Manila, a center in Pittsburgh, a center in Greenville, center and, and now it's pretty much people all over the country in this past year working from home as a virtual contact center and we do it support for our customers supporting applications pcs devices hardware printer amazing and and just before we move on from your your career itself looking back over the journey you've been on it's been quite a journey if you had to pick a few kind of key moves or milestones or maybe even tipping points what which ones would they be and why I have to say my introduction to ServiceNow was transformed. So I come from a you know a Lean Six Sigma and finance background where you focus on efficiency and mistake proofing and optimization and having a tool that supports that in the ITSM environment, yeah, just phenomenal, right? Being able to bring information together from disparate systems, create workloads that supersede any one individual tower and live end to end is kind of i often compare it to a the nerve center right it is the system of systems and being able to solve problems and flow work from end to end through a process that used to be broken apart in different segments mistake proofing it getting far more efficient cutting costs out of a business delighting your end users finding a tool that could support that was for me like wow this is where i want to be and that's been seven eight years now and i've been fortunate to have a a great team of people around me that have educated me on it and helped me use the tool extensively to really drive success in multiple businesses Nice. We ask a question to a lot of people about how they first got introduced to ServiceNow, and it is remarkable the amount of people that is A, by accident, <laughs> an opportunity, and then that fell in love with it. So it's uh, it's a common trend. So we mentioned before, when we, we, we spoke before the podcast, you're very kind of front and center with customers. This is quite a wide question, so feel free to drill into a segment or, or, or however you want to answer it. What are some of the macro trends you're seeing in the, with your customers? And, and I'm specifically thinking of digital transformation and some of the work you guys are doing. It's interesting. Uh, we, we talk about digital transformation as a concept. It, it really is simply about optimizing and simplifying, right? 
It is giving people what they need to self-serve in a quick, intuitive, easy way, just like you. I've never called customer service for help with my Google phone. I've got online and gotten the help I need, watched a YouTube video, gotten an article I need, downloaded a driver in some cases for a particular application, done an update, and I've never actually had to go to IT support. So solving that problem from an IT support perspective is what we're all about. And that's taking things like endpoint management that collects information on a, a PC or a Mac and can actually reach out and execute fixes on that PC or Mac. All of a sudden the user never even knows they have a problem. That is to me what digital transformation is all about. You're going from a place where I'm using my PC, it's giving me a, a you're gonna have to forget the language, but a pain in the butt issue three, four, five times a day. It's not enough for me to call customer service about, but my experience is not good. And after a couple of years of that, I want a new PC. Now I'm in a situation where that thing that is happening that is causing me this pain doesn't happen anymore because the PC has reported back to a cloud that, and said, I'm experiencing this problem. The engineer has looked at it and said, oh yeah, I see what's going on there. He's got the wrong driver. He's identified 600 other PCs with the wrong driver. He's run a quick campaign and fixed that on all 600 PCs. And now all of those users are not experiencing that problem anymore without calling customer service or, or creating a ticket. And when they do call, and, and an agent can sit there and open up a tab in service now and see, oh, look, his CPU utilization is pegged or his cache needs to be cleared or his hard drive doesn't have enough space. And they see that instantly, can hit a button and fix it on the end user's machine while they're on the phone. That kind of experience, and we hear about that a lot in this industry these days, that kind of experience is what digital transformation is all about. It's streamlining, optimizing, leveraging all the intelligence and technology available at our fingertips to remove support from the end user experience. I know you guys are doing a, a lot with AWS and ServiceNow. Could you give our listeners an introduction to that and maybe also tie into that, the, the value this is bringing to some of those customers that you just mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. Like everybody else, everybody went home last March and we were all looking at VPNs getting clogged and jump boxes and latency issues and how do we continue to support our customers in this environment. Pomeroy had the vision to very quickly identify the fact that status quo wasn't going to work. And we took a flyer and looked at AWS Connect to move our telephony completely into the cloud. From, from a contact center perspective, you just save a ton of money in terms of version upgrades and A side and B side and having your stuff in different data centers and staying fully reliable all the time, managing it ourselves. It's just done now. Scale is a huge thing. We can do two minutes of calls tomorrow and two million the day after without pre-provisioning circuits and having to prepare for that. The advantages of Amazon Connect are astounding, right? Reliability, four different data centers, four different floodplains, four different power sources. It's never been down since it became commercially available in 2017. I know I sound like a commercial for Amazon Connect, <laughs> but I am a big fan, just as I am of service now. And when I started looking into who's actually using Amazon Connect today, there were two data points that really stuck out at me. One of them is that Capital One is using it for 30,000 banking agents around the world. So I'm pretty confident it's at the enterprise grade scale that we would need for it to, to meet all our requirements from a security, reliability, redundancy perspective. The other data point was I called a good friend of mine who runs the MSP product development organization at ServiceNow and said, hey, we've been working together for a few years. I really want to take a, a leap forward here. Can you tell me anybody who uses Amazon Connect for or in conjunction with ServiceNow? 
And he said, yeah, I've got a great reference customer. It's ServiceNow. They okay. actually use it themselves. And to me, that was, they're investing in this technology and this platform. I'm pretty safe when I consider it for the future of so. our organization. So it has a, a, just a tremendous amount of capability that it's very lightweight from an overhead perspective and a technical debt perspective. I've got one telecom engineer and he runs tens and tens of desks with individual VRUs and individual rules and logic and different service levels and different approaches to how you handle an unanswered phone and different operating hours. And this one guy does it all. Uh, not that he's, he's very smart. <laughs> it's not that he's a genius. Is that the tool enables him to be the guy that can do it all. We have things like the ability to virtual, instead of saying, give me a call back when the queue dies down and there's the next available agent and actually holds your place in line and calls you back next. That's tremendous from a, an efficiency standpoint and the end user experience standpoint when things get really busy, as they often do in tech support. The ability to you know, implement CTI in service now so that your telephony is talking with your service now or your ITSM system, it's really nothing new. But when you're suddenly in an environment where you have all of your call data, all of your ticket data, if you can say, let's look at all the long calls and see what tickets they were associated to and then go attack those, addressing those outliers and those exceptions really drives your overall averages down or up depending on the particular metric. So having that information together is incredibly powerful. And then you take it a step further and say, I've got all my user data in there. I've got all their hours of operation, their staffing schedules. I know who's on the phone when, I know who's off. I know what the average number of people off at any given moment is. All of a sudden, workforce optimization becomes a really powerful tool in one system where it's all together. Recurring theme here, right? One system. So having all that data together allows you to be incredibly efficient and drive tremendous cost savings. When it's all in one place, it's easy to access and you can manage it with very little technical overhead. You are listening to the Aldis Podcast. When you're looking to scale your team, or if you are interested in showcasing your company in a future episode, reach out today. Or if you're in the market for a new role, visit our website to view open positions, www.aldis.com. Any use cases or customer success stories you, you like? I can tell you that since we launched it on a handful of our service desks, every other service desk has taken it. We're down to one last customer that's in the final planning stages. So that should give you an idea of just the capability of this world-class tool and our ability to delight both the end user who calls and the people who run that organization with dashboards and insights. There's even something called contact lens, which does emotional scoring. It listens to tone of voice and word choice and interruptions and silence on a call. And it emotionally scores the call over it. So anytime one of those ends up with a really negative score, we can instantly provide feedback to the agent. We can have a level two listen to the call and see if we could have done something better and call back and apologize or remedy the situation or whatever it is. I mean, in the, in the world of people-driven systems, mistakes happen all the time. 99% is actually really good. It's not like a machine where you want 99.9999% accuracy. It's just a simple reality that a high-performing organization, even at its best, is going to make mistakes. And when you have the ability to address those mistakes, coach those mistakes, and remedy those mistakes with the end user immediately. That's powerful stuff from a user experience. I mean, think about the phone rings, you you call support, you have your conversation, you're not happy, and five minutes later, the phone rings, and higher level tech calling back to say, hey, I realized we could have done something for you and we didn't. Let me do that for you now. Does that solve your problem? 
Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about a customer experience that's significantly elevated over anything you've seen before. Pretty remarkable, to be fair. So what's needed in your eyes, if you look at some of the, the successful sort of project roadmaps you've embarked on, what's sort of some of the sort of top three tips that you feel is most important to, 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 to reach success in a project roadmap? That's a really interesting question. I'll share something I shared with a handful of my directors just recently. I pulled out the roadmap that we had at the start of my career here, March of 2020. And I said, first of all, tell me guys, how do you think we did this last year? And everybody was like, oh, we, we killed it. We brought in Amazon Connect. We uh, moved all these new processes onto ServiceNow. We streamlined onboarding and offboarding and efficiency and all those fun things. It was it was a remarkable year for us as a company. And then I pulled up our roadmap and I showed them that the roadmap that we developed as a team in March of last year had 12, 13 major projects on it and we'd succeeded. So my point is that, not that we didn't succeed, is that roadmaps are living, breathing things that change all the time. And I've always been a big fan of moving, just move, right? We'll take five steps forward and two steps back. And people will look at that and say, well, that's 40% failure rate. That's the D performance you barely passed. Meanwhile, I'm on step three and somebody else is still back doing a perfect step. That's That to me is the, the key to success in an industry like this. Fail often fast and cheap, be bold, move ahead, learn, adapt, and keep going. It, it's like a it's like a running back in football, American football. You you get the ball and you got a plan and you might find that first gap between a pair of linemen. After that, who knows what's going to happen next? No plan survives first contact with the enemy. So you have to adapt and flex and pivot and sometimes take a few steps back to turn around and go a different direction to get to your ultimate goal. So I love that. flexibility and, and agility yeah. is really the key. No, awesome. And it's quite brave to to approach it in that manner as well. I think sometimes we all want to be perfect, but it's nice to know that's not going <laughs> to ever happen. So just jump straight in. Yeah, I think in IT, we've all been involved in projects that have months and months of meetings and requirements gathering. And, and by the time you get to the end product, it never looks like what you started with. So why not just jump? And, and would there be similar if you were to advise a, a C-suite? Um, executive, someone that's maybe embarking on maybe digital transformation change or innovation in certain areas of their business, would you, is that the advice you'd give to them or is there anything you would, else you would add to that? That's definitely the advice I would give. Don't ever be afraid to move. Moving is progress, even if it's not always in the right direction and progress is what drives this business. But I'd also add that you don't have to bite off the whole thing in one fell swoop or the end zone is. Right now, you just need to get through that next couple of yards. So you have a vision in mind for the long term, but let's just fix this part. Let's just add this capability. Let's just address that function and bring that into the system. And as you keep bringing those things into the system and then you start tying them together because you have that end goal in mind, you start delivering value early in the process to your constituents. And when they see that value, they get excited about it and they want to know what's next and they want to help and contribute and evaluate. That's how you build the momentum. If you try and do it all at once, it's very hard to get people excited about it because, hey, guys, in second quarter 2022, I'm going to have some cool stuff for you. It just doesn't get you the traction that you need. But if you say, hey, look, I'm bringing this little capability forward here to help you be more efficient in route optimization in, in your field services organizations, that's great. Hey, can we add parts inventory to that? And then you do that and then you, you build that momentum. I think that's key to being successful is getting that engagement and excitement going along with your technology initiatives. Awesome. We spoke about your 
sort of looking at the forward, uh, looking forward into the platform. What's your sort of opinion on what's next for ServiceNow? And I'm, I'm specifically thinking of either innovation or, or how it's going to evolve to add to increase its value that it's already adding to customers. It's an interesting question. They keep moving into new verticals and streamlining more processes. And I think I, oftentimes I'm always on the edge because four or five years ago, we're talking about workforce optimization service now, and it's out now. It came out in preliminarily in Paris, and it's now uh, fully engaged in Quebec. But four or five years ago, I don't know if I could have waited. I actually had to start building some things within ServiceNow ourselves. That's always the challenge for us is I see what's coming next. I know you're talking about your next two, three, four releases and what's out there. I need it now. That's always the challenge for me when I'm looking at their roadmap. And as you just heard, I have no confidence in roadmaps anyway. They never end up being what exactly. you set out to do. <laughs> Awesome. And so as we come to a close, you've already given some great mentor mentorship trips, so just move, et cetera. But if you were to look back and, and give some advice to Jeff, let's say 10, 10, 15 years ago, what would be, what would be some of the advice you'd go and give a younger Jeff? Not to be afraid of failure, but in a nutshell, I, I launched a startup at one point and had a phenomenal technology and it cost a fraction of what the military was using at the time in law enforcement. And I got subcontract to a major prime contractor and the major prime contractor just essentially shot me in the foot. And I, at the time I was crushed. I was like, this was my dream. I had put so much energy and effort into building this amazing piece of equipment. I had a brief career in the Navy very early in, in my, in my timeline. And it was an opportunity to take everything I'd learned about manufacturing and technology and Androids and biometrics and give back a little bit and put a phenomenal piece of equipment in people's hands. And to see that all just die because of bureaucracy, and I was, I was crushed. But then I sit there and I look at it now and the experiences I gained were product development, Lean Six Sigma manufacturing. I invented stuff in the world of biometrics that I have patents on. The ability to solve problems, the ability to understand a market and listen to that market and develop solutions that meet their needs. The, the people I met, those failures are tremendous learning experiences. And as much as I regret not being able to succeed on the mission, the value that I got out of that experience was amazing. So don't be afraid to fail. Just plunge ahead, be bold. And when you do fail often, fast and cheap, try experiments. Those little experiments are what you, if only one out of 10 works, it's just like venture capital investing. If only one out of 10 companies hits it, you make your money. So that that's what I would tell myself. Love that. And actually, again, we've, we've, been, we've been interviewing a number of executives and it is surprising the amount of learns that people have had along the way. And some of those are either from either firings or failures, et cetera. The ability mm -hmm. to embrace those and learn from it and move forward and not necessarily in a negative way is, is really important and the theme we're seeing. So Jeff, really appreciate you sharing that, buddy. Awesome. This, is, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. And yeah, I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about. So thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Aldis Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any Android podcast of choice. You can also head over to our website, www.aldis.com, to listen to more podcasts, view our open roles, and stay up to date with industry news. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more great episodes coming very soon.